Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Brother Roscoe, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in to Tabernacle Radio. And I'm sitting here with Dylan Guerrero. And he's uh, a, a close friend of mine and a brother in Christ with, with a, a testimony. And he's going to share that a little bit with us. But before we do that, let's uh, start by opening it up with prayer. So if you'd like to join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this life, Lord, and for this opportunity to get together like this, Father God, and to do this, Father. Father, we pray that, that, that this testimony impacts people, that it moves people, that it touches in their hearts and spirits, and that it falls on ears, Father God, of those that need to hear it, Father. Father, we just pray that, that, that whatever time they may be hearing this, Father God, wherever they may be when they hear this, Father, that you just let this... Let them receive something from this, Father God. Let them hear you, Lord. Father, I pray you give my brother the words, Lord. You let the Holy Spirit guide him, Father God. And that you just be with us right now, Father God, and be with those that are listening, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, go ahead, brother. Go ahead and take it away. Uh, my name's Dylan. I'm the youth pastor here at Tabernacle of Faith Center. Um I'm 25 years old, and first I would like to give all honor and glory to God for uh, letting me be here today in this in this position. I would like to give thanks to Roscoe for uh, for letting me be here and share my testimony with you. Uh, thank God that He has placed this on Roscoe's heart to, to allow us to do something like this. So I guess I'll dive in and start whenever I was younger. When I was younger, I was growing up. Um, my family's my, my parents are divorced my mom's divorced two times my dad's divorced two times my uh, dad grew up in a church his, his side of the family he was uh, a worship leader they had their own band and so they grew up in church and his mom had cancer my grandma and she had passed away and as soon as she passed away it was like my dad started going downhill uh, he, she probably passed away whenever uh, I was just growing up, young, uh, 14 years old. And he stopped going to church. He started doing um, popping pills a lot. And he didn't let us, he didn't bring us to the church to grow up. So we kind of grew up on the streets. And, uh, and I wish, man, that he would have let, he would have, taken us to church but he didn't so probably I have a I have an older brother and an older sister and I used to always hang out with them all the time and at the age at the age of 11 I uh, started smoking cigarettes you know it wasn't a full cigarette or anything like that there's this thing that they called a, a power hit where you put it, put the cigarette between your fingers, and you know you cup your hands together, and you just inhale through your through that hole in your hand. And I wouldn't even ex I wouldn't even inhale the cigarette. I would just blow it right back out. Uh, I was hanging out with older people. I just wanted to look cool. And so, man, after that, um, probably a couple weeks later is whenever I first tried to start smoking my first full cigarette. And I was at my grandma's house and I had stolen one of her cigarettes and I went outside and I smoked it, man. I got sick that night. <laughs> I got sick bad that night. And 
And I told myself never again I would smoke another cigarette just because of how sick I felt. I felt like I was going to throw up. Um, but the next day, you know, I hung out with those friends again, with them older friends again, and I ended up smoking a cigarette for real this time, inhaling it and, and all of that. And probably the age of 11 or 12, once again, I started smoking weed. It wasn't on a daily basis. It was, you know, probably um, once every month, or no, not once a month, probably like once every two weeks. And then sooner or later, it became an everyday thing uh, at, the, at the age of 13. At the age of 13, I remember getting a, a, uh, a whole gram of cocaine for myself for my 13th birthday. And that's whenever things started going going south. I, um, at a young age, around 11, 12, 13 years old, uh, 12 to 13 years old, before that cocaine, I actually started popping pills. Uh, I used to lie to my dad and tell my dad that my back hurt, so that way he would give me some of his pills. And, um, Sometimes I would crush those pills up and snort them. And sometimes I would just pop them. And, um, and so after that, my life started going down at, you know, at the age of 13, uh, took ecstasy, started doing all the hardcore drugs at a young age. Uh, remember at, in middle school, um, I had, went to school because there's this person needed uh, some alcohol and so they asked me because they knew that I could get it for them because they all considered me the bad person and they knew I could get it for them so man, I went to back I went to I went to school that day with my backpack with two full gallons of McCormick vodka in my backpack and had them in my locker throughout the whole day and you know I Back then, I was just thinking of the money, so I had them give me like $60, and for two gallons of McCormick vodka, there's only like 40 bucks back then, or actually, it was probably cheaper back then, and right then, you know, I was already hustling, trying to make money off of people, lying to people, lying to my parents. There's times when I would sneak out my house, even whenever I was grounded, I would still sneak out my house and walk in through the front door later on that night. And, uh, just didn't care. And then I started, you know, partying a lot more with high school people. Started playing beer pong. Started to go to Baylor parties at a young age. Uh, probably at the age of like 14, 15 years old, I started going out to Baylor parties. Uh, once again, I had older siblings, so I was just hanging out with them. And I caught on to what they were doing. And um, so we started doing all that, started going partying. And then that, still around those ages, the young teenage years, man, I would go and steal things. I remember I would break into people's cars. We would steal, we would find guns in people's cars. There was one time I got put on probation uh, because we went car hopping and we stole some, we went car hopping and 
we popped the trunk to this car, me and my friends, and we found some golf clubs in there. And we grabbed the golf clubs, and that next day I had somebody pawn them, and it came back on me. And um, ended up getting put on probation for it since I was still young. They let me have, and it was my first offense, they let me have uh, a break, I guess you could say. And by the age of um, uh, 16, 17, I was still doing those things. I remember uh, at the age of 17, I had stolen a car. Uh, it was one of the newer Volkswagens at the time. It was a souped up Volkswagen Jetta. And me and my friend stole it. Uh, we were drunk, we were messed up. And we went to Walmart in Hewitt and started doing donuts in the parking lot. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we ended up uh, driving back some back down some back roads, and we ended up uh, wrecking the car and totaling it. <laughs> and then uh, the house, the party that we were at, we had to have someone come get us, and uh, they ended up snitching on us. And I remember uh, I was 16 at the time, and. They waited, and it was around December, because they waited until I was 17 to charge me as an adult. And I was still in school, and they went to my school, and they, they took me out of class, and they, um, they took me to, to jail. And, uh, and I got a third-degree felony theft over 20000 under 100000 Praise be to God that that felony got dropped. Uh, you'll know about that here later. Uh, but I still didn't learn from that, man. I still went back out, still did the old same things, stealing people's stuff from their houses, uh, breaking into cars, still doing drugs, hardcore drugs, started getting uh, deeper into drugs, deeper into drugs, lying to people, lying to my parents. I uh, remember feeling so guilty uh, on my Facebook that I blocked all of my family members that could see me on my Facebook because I didn't want to want them to see me what I was doing. Uh, and I never lived at home, man. I was always staying at friends' houses. I grew my my mom moved away to Houston at a young age, and I didn't want to live there. I wanted to live here. And I, uh, so I was living with friends the whole time. Uh, not the good friends either, the friends that were right there with you smoking and the friends that were right there with you, you know, trying to encourage each other to go, to go and party that night. And I remember at least every day we had to uh, do something because we didn't want to be sober. So either we, Ask a front, ask the dealer to front us, you know, a blunt until the next day, or you know, whatever it was to get drugs. We tried to get money to get drugs or alcohol, and always had cigarettes all the time. And if we couldn't afford a, some cigarettes, then hey, we had to find some change, go take some change from, you know, from the friends. Uh, mom's car or find some change somewhere sitting around the house to go and grab a black and mild just because we were fiending that bad for some tobacco and man I remember 
the, the police always going to the houses where we would stay at because we were always constantly getting in trouble and there was always drug activity going on uh, going in and out of the house and I remember um, one time that we were riding around I was young it was probably I was like 16 years old and I uh, was riding around and it was a gun that we had found in a car that we had uh, taken with us in, in the ride that we were in. We were all underage, uh, all juveniles. And we got pulled over and the officer was searching the car and he found the holster of the gun. And he came back over there and asked us where the gun was. And uh, we didn't tell him. But then sooner or later he ends up finding the gun and my homeboy um, ends up going to jail that night, or not jail, he went to juvenile actually. And uh, he didn't get out until like six months later and I was staying with him at the time whenever all that happened. So I had to go find a, another place to stay at. Uh, like I said, I was just hopping from house to house, uh, kind of raised myself, I guess you could say. I never really went to my dad or my mom for advice. I always just took matters into my own hand. And then I started to do meth and that drug got me down to my lowest. And one day, uh, one day it all started because someone I told someone, I said, man, let's get some, uh, let's get some coke. Uh, and I only had 10 bucks. I was like, man, let me, let's get a little bit of coke or something. And then that person was like, well, why don't we get uh, some meth and it lasts longer. You know, you can, you, you can get, you get a better high off of it. And that was the first time I ever done it. I was like, all right, let's do it. And so I did it, and after that day, I got hooked on hooked on it. I uh, always wanted to do it every day. Yeah, I had to, you know, stayed up for a week and then couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. So I would have to, you know, smoke weed in order to go to sleep, or pop some downers in order to go to sleep. And so I kept on doing it. It, it got deeper and deeper. Um, into the drug and then I started not to like my life and what I was doing um, and one day I, I had my own place and I remembered my friend going over there and showing me a picture of uh, a picture of what he had drawn it was a friend that I invited over to you know smoke some of that stuff with and he showed me a picture that he had drawn. He was telling me how he just stayed in his room all the time. Like if his parents come knock on the door, he would tell them to go away and to get a, get away. And so I felt bad for him. So I wanted to hang out with him. And he had showed me this picture that he had drawn and it was a real, real demonic picture. And he sooner, like a couple days later, I went back to his place uh, because I, once again, I felt bad for him. I was just gonna hang out with him. We were playing video games and, you know, still doing dumb stuff. And one day he asked me if I believed in 
witchcraft and black magic and, you know, the Ouija board. I told him, I said, man, I believe all that stuff is, is real because I used to play, I like, I didn't used to play with one, but I played with one before a Ouija board. And so whenever I played with it, whenever I was like 14, 15 years old, some crazy stuff was happening. And, uh, and so when he brought that back up to my memory, I just told him, man, I believe that that stuff is real, yes, but I believe that there is a higher power, and I believe that higher power is God. And I wasn't saved at this time, but I was just, I, I, something within me just told me and told me that, that there's something higher than that power. I believe it was, now I know, actually, that it was the prayers of my family. And so he... So he said, all right. So he went over to the corner of his of his room and like did some type of magic or something. And I felt an evil spirit come over me. And that day I was never the same after that. And I had left. I had felt real bad. I felt like uh, like he had put whatever was over him onto me, uh, like that demon that was on him. I felt like he had placed that over me. And uh, so I, whenever I left, the, I, I felt the devil, you know, I heard the devil talk to me and tell me to, to kill myself. He was trying to make me depressed and was telling me if I just go this fast uh, around this, this, this turn, then, then, you can, you, then I'll make your car flip and you can die. And I would ignore those thoughts at first. I would ignore it. And... Uh, and then I would go to parties and then this evil spirit would tell me, all right, well, you know, if you're not going to listen to me and hurt yourself or kill yourself, then how about you use me to help get you money in life, help to make you be on top in life. So I said, all right. And that time the evil spirit, that demonic spirit was telling me to pull out my drug that I had. Uh, around a certain person and to sell this a certain amount to them and then they would go tell certain other people and I did it and it worked and uh, you know I got money and everything that it was telling me it worked and then um, it just started to get weird I would stop listening to it again and kind of put it off and I would be staring at a wall and I would just see like an evil demonic face or staring at the ceiling and I would just see an evil demonic face. Listen to, um, you know, that world, the worldly music like Lil Wayne and Drake and all the so-called Illuminati people. And I would hear, you know, like the demons and in the music. And, um, and so it started freaking me out a little bit, but I still just brushed it off, trying to act hard, I guess you could say. And um, sooner or later, it started getting to the point to where I would walk by a, a light, like let's say walking down a road and there's some lights, uh, some light posts outside. It would get so bad to the point where sometimes those lights would turn off. That's how dark this, um, this evil spirit was over me. And at times I ran, I just started running because of it. And I, this whole time I thought it was the drug that was making me like that. People were telling me, man, it's, it's the drug 
that's making you like that. You need to sleep. You need to you, you need you need to chill out for a whole minute. And uh, but and I did, but it still continued to happen. And that's whenever I knew for a fact that it wasn't the drug. It was something else. And a lot of people actually pray over the type of drug, uh, like a bunch of evil people also, or a bunch of evil people are the ones who pray over that drug. Uh, like a bunch of witches, they say, place uh, uh, like curses and stuff over that drug. That's what they say. And I was in Houston. I moved to Houston to try and get away from everything. I got a good job and I, uh, I felt like God was trying to change my life and that's whenever I felt like God was trying to change my life but I was ignoring it and Houston they have these church signs everywhere wherever wherever there's a, a church they'll have like it's like almost like a yield sign but it'll say a church they'll say church in it letting you know that there's a church uh, within the area and so those lights those those signs always seemed um, like they lit up to me but there was no lights on them they always uh, you know I always looked at them and they always caught my attention and so one day I felt like God wanted me to go to church and that Sunday my mom wanted to go to church but she didn't get up to go to church and I told God, I said, all right, God, if it's you that really wants me to go to church, next Sunday comes around. If my mom does not get up to go to church, then I'll get up myself and I'll go to church. Next Sunday comes around, my mom didn't get up to go to church. So I was like, all right, God, I'll go to church. Well, actually, before that, let me jump before that. Whenever all this crazy stuff was happening, um, this is what I believe actually made the church signs jump out at me, because I was still feeling that evilness coming, uh, coming to get me. And one day, I uh, I was sitting in the living room in my mom's house. There's nobody there but me, and I was just chilling on the on the on the recliner and out of nowhere her sound system turns on and it gets really loud and I start screaming I jump up and I go over there and turn that that sound system off and my mom has a bookshelf that or she had a bookshelf that was sitting next to the TV and it had a Bible there and, I, and that's the first thing I spotted and I grabbed that Bible and I just opened the Bible but nothing like I just opened it and I didn't read it or anything like that I just opened it and at that time, you know, I felt a little peace, but I still felt as if something's wrong going on. And I still, after that day, I still ignored it. And so then that's whenever all the signs started coming. Um, and then one day there's this letter that came into the mail at my mom's house. And I went to go check it one late, one late night. And an envelope had came in to the... Um, into the mailbox and it was from a church in Houston from some random church and it said in real big red letters read this it can save your life and so I opened it 
just just curious because I because all the things that was happening in my life, I felt like my life was going crazy and that I needed something to calm my life down. And so I opened it and there was a prayer rug in that uh, envelope. And it was saying instructions on what to do. It was saying, you know, to go to your room, shut the door, um, get put this down and get on your knees and pray on it. And it was a picture of Jesus's face and before that, I would always have bad dreams. I'd never had good dreams. I never had, uh, you know, just no dreams actually after that time that that kid had put that over me. So this whole time I was having these bad dreams. And after that envelope came in, after I prayed on that, on that little prayer rug that was just a piece of paper, I folded it up and stuck it underneath my pillowcase. And ever since then, um, Whenever I had that thing under my pillow, I had good dreams. I never had those bad dreams anymore, but I was still living in sin, but it took away those bad dreams with just Jesus's face being underneath my pillow. It took away those bad dreams that I was having. And so the next Sunday comes around and my, and my mom doesn't get up to go to church. And I tell my mom, all right, uh, or I told, I'm sorry, I didn't tell my mom. I told God, I said, all right, God, I told you if my mom didn't get up to go to church, I would go to church myself. And in Houston, whenever you go to a big church, they have uh, parkings. They have special parkings for certain people, for uh, let's say the pastor, for the assistant pastor. Um, And so there was a parking spot in front for them and then everybody else kind of had to park in in the back area. And now as I was pulling in the direct the people who direct traffic for the church told me to go to uh, the area where the pastors get to park and I was like what the heck <laughs> this is weird you know they, nobody ever gets to park here why are they letting me park here so I was like all right so I parked there anyways because it was a shorter walk and I went inside the church and the message didn't touch me uh, the message didn't relate to my life I didn't feel anything from the message, but afterwards they have these things, these these this thing called prayer partners, and so I went up there, and they asked me, "What could I pray for you for?" And all I'd asked was just a blessing for my family. And as soon as they started praying, I just started crying hard, and whenever I left there. I felt like that was the most dumbest thing I had ever done. But now I know that was the devil putting that in my mind. The devil was telling me, how could you sit there and let all those people see you cry in front of everybody? Like how you just cried. You looked weak. You looked like you were, uh, like, like you were weak, like you didn't belong. Um, And you looked sad. And he was telling me all these things. Like, why would you even do that? Don't ever do that again. That was stupid. What if your friends saw you do that? What if this person seen you do that? And I started believing what that thing was saying. I was like, yeah, man, that was dumb. I'm never going to go back and do something like that again. Um, about a week later, I had came back down here to Waco to visit one of my friends. 
that I used to smoke uh, that stuff with and I started smoking it with them again and this time it was different I felt like uh, Satan was coming to get me and so I told the guy hey man I gotta go I, I'll be right back and all I did was went to my car and sit in my car was parked out in front of his house and I uh, was scared because I really felt like Satan was coming to get me like he was about to come and, and take my life so I went to my car and I downloaded the Bible app on my phone as fast as I could and I started looking at the Bible reading the Bible this time and in the Bible it kept on saying run don't run run don't run run don't run and then out of nowhere I just hear a still small voice that just says stop and everything became calm there was no more of that feeling as if Satan was coming to get me as if I was going to die that night that night I was uh, that night the, the Bible started speaking to my life it became clear to me in the, the Bible um, where I opened up to it was telling me that my life is going to be better that I'm a new creation that my, my old sins are gone that my past is gone that uh, it can't hold me to, to, to my future, that I've been set free, that I've been forgiven, that I'm loved. And, and that it was just a great moment. It was a, a, a feeling that, that I could never explain. Uh, it was amazing. It was more than amazing. It was more than wonderful just the peace and the and the the comfort to know that God came and, and saved my life that night that night I got baptized with the Holy Spirit inside of my car and the next day I stopped smoking meth actually right after that I stopped smoking that stuff I stopped popping pills I stopped drinking the only thing I didn't do was stop smoking cigarettes and then my friend I told my friend hey man I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and go back to Houston I'm gonna go back home and on my way home, I was, I, I was like listening to the, to the old worldly music. And I was like, man, I can't even listen to this music anymore. Like, I, I just can't. And so I, turned, I found a Christian station and I, and I kept it. I, I, first thing I did was I saved it to, to my car uh, on the radio. So that way I will never forget that radio station in Waco. And as I was driving back home to Houston, I was crying just because of the love and the comfort that I felt from God, knowing that my life was saved, knowing that I had a new life, knowing that my past was gone, knowing that, that I had a bright future ahead of me, knowing that uh, my past couldn't hold me down to what God had planned for me, knowing that there was more to my life than just being a drug addict. And so I was just wiping my tears, crying, and I look up, and I was in, at that time, whenever I was crying and I wiped my tears, I was in Riesel, and that's probably about 20 miles from Highway 6, and I went down to wipe my tears, and I look up, and I'm already in Houston. I'm like, what the heck? Did I really just get in Houston? And I had said that out loud in a big sign that passed by. Um, it said just did. And I was like, all right, God, <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's awesome. So God was just showing me all these, all these miracles that, that I never knew that were, 
that, that could happen. And he was just showing me, showing me his love that I had never felt before. And I became in love with it, that I never wanted to go back to my old life and I never do. I want to continue to be focused on God and I want to continue to uh, fight the good fight and finish the race so that way I can walk into the narrow gates of heaven. And when I was going back, my, my mom that night or the next couple of nights actually, they were having a party and uh, normally I, I had drank around my mom. This was 19, I got saved whenever I was 19 years old. Um, and normally I had, uh, you know, I would drink with my, with my mom while my mom was around. And, um, and so that night, like there was a night and I told her, no, mom, I'm, I'm done with all that stuff. I'm done with the drugs. I'm done with drinking. Uh, but I was still smoking cigarettes, but I was like, I'm done with drinking. I'm done with that. And she, uh, she felt weirded out. She was like, well, what happened to you? <laughs> and I had to tell her that I gave my life to God. And that, um, and then I was sitting in my room and I felt like I had no one to talk to because I uh, cut off my, you know, I cut all my old friends off. I deleted my Facebook to get away from all the old things. This was within two weeks of me being saved. And I was just sitting in my bed and I was like, man, what am I going to do now? I'm a new person. Uh, like, I don't want to do any of those old things. I don't know anyone now that, that I became a Christian. Now that I'm doing good in life, I don't, I don't know anything now. I don't know anybody now. But then I remember that some of my dad's side, uh, the ones that stayed in, in church were still there, like my aunt and my uncle. And I called all of them. Um, all of my, I called my aunts and my uncles and my grandpa to let them know that I gave my life to God. And it was about two weeks later after that, that God was really just starting and keeping to push, like pushing on me to stop smoking cigarettes. And every time after I would go and smoke a cigarette outside, I would come back up and watch TV and it would be one of those tobacco commercials on the, on the TV. One with the uh, one with holes in their necks, or with their bones falling, or with their bones, you know, uh, getting old, or their teeth falling out. Every single time, there was a there was a, uh, a commercial like that. Every single time, whenever I came back from smoking a cigarette, it doesn't matter if it was back to back. Like if I went for five minutes, go smoke a cigarette, and went back and looked at the TV. It was the, it was a commercial like that, and five minutes went back. And thinking that the, you know, the, uh, oh, it just went to the, to the show. So there's no way there's a commercial now. So I went back in and, you know, and there's another commercial on <laughs> with the, with the, uh, tobacco commercials. And so I was like, all right, God, I'll, you know, uh, I'll try and stop smoking cigarettes. And then one day I was at work listening to Christian music and I went down to the uh, smoking area at the work of, on my break and I seen a uh, handicap sign. And just like those church signs, how they became, how they caught my attention, this handicap sign caught my attention. And right then, as I was smoking my cigarette, I threw my cigarette on the ground. I threw my brand new pack of cigarettes on the ground and crushed them. 
And I said, all right, God, I, I, I give it up. I give everything up for you. I give the cigarettes up for you. And after that was whenever God really started to move in my life. After I gave up those cigarettes, I found a church in Houston that was very spirit filled. And I became involved with it. And it was just a true is truly an amazing feeling and a blessing to know that you have God on your side, that whenever you come to Christ, that you're a new creation, that your old things are gone. It doesn't matter if, if you used to um, break into cars. It doesn't matter if, if you used to fight people. It doesn't matter what your uh, criminal record is like. Uh, the reason why I bring that criminal record back up is because the job that I have now here in Waco, they, uh, that felony ended up getting dropped after I had gotten saved. It had gotten dropped. And if that felony would have never had gotten dropped, then I would have never been able to come back down here to Waco to be a youth pastor because of the job that I had to get in order to come back down here. I, uh, so God opened up those doors. God was with me all along through my young age. Um, protecting me making sure that everything is is you know that i may be going astray right now but later on down the road he's going to be on a straight path and and he's going to make that straight path and i encourage anyone who is um going down that bad path that there and i want to tell you that there's hope through it all, there's hope. You don't have to feel as if you have no life. You don't have to feel as if you are a nobody or as if you're just an addict or a drunk or just a pill popper or um, just a hustler. All those things are, are meaningless. All those things aren't you. You are loved. You are wonderful. You are God's child. And I want to encourage every single one of you who is struggling with addiction, to give it all to God, to try and give it all to God. If you don't know how, then just raise up your hands and ask God to show you how to give it all up. And if you truly mean it with all your heart and all your soul, if you really want a new life in Christ, He will give you one. He will give you a new life. If you really want to be made free, true freedom, not, not a... Um, not just a rehab center free of, of where it's just with your mind where you have oh I have strength over that drug oh you know you're, where your mind is just stronger than that drug I promise you that is not true freedom true freedom only comes from Jesus Christ and he is the one who can set you free from truly free from that that addiction and he loves you and he is willing to do that that is why he died on the cross for you and I just want to want to give 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 all honor and glory to God for letting me be here today and I just want to um, thank Roscoe once again for let for inviting me and it's been a great pleasure uh, to be able to share my testimony with you I pray that it blesses anyone who hears it uh, I pray that you share it that you tell others about it I pray that you show your friends, your family members of the of the not not to boast on my own part, 
but to boast in the Lord, to, to show you what the Lord can do for you, for your life. If the Lord can bring me through what I was in, then the Lord can bring you out of what you are in. People who are worse than where I was at still get brought out of their addictions, out of their strongholds, and God can do the same um, for you. So I guess, uh, Roscoe, would you like for me to pray and close this out? <clears throat> Yeah, brother, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to meet up with me and sitting down to share your testimony. And uh, if that's all you got, yeah, you can go ahead and uh, close this out with prayer. Yeah, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, first just thanking you. Thanking you, Father God, for your son Jesus, for him dying on the cross for us and you raising him three days later. Lord God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you send to us. Father God, we thank you for the freedom that you give to us. We thank you for the love that you showed to us. That, that love that nobody else can show us. We thank you for picking us up, Father God, when we are down. We thank you for keeping your hand over us and keeping a watch over us, even though we at times we feel like as if you aren't. Lord, we pray that this message, that this, that this ministry blesses people, blesses those who truly, meet, who truly need it, Father God. And Lord, we ask that you spread this testimony, that you spread your glorious power, and that when people hear the testimony, Father God, of the others that are on this podcast as well, that they that they feel something within them, uh, that it's the Holy Spirit. And we pray in the name of yes, Jesus Father. over this, Father. And we pray for freedom over those with addictions. We pray for freedom over those with who, whose hearts are broken. We pray that you renew the broken hearts, Lord. For those who are heavenly burdened, we pray that you re- that you relieve those burdens, Lord God. For those who need healing, Heavenly Father, we pray that, that you bring healing to their life as well, Lord. We pray we praise you for everything that you have ever done in our life and everything that you are going to do in our life. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen.